0: Welcome to the podcast to be named later, and I am not Chris Willis. My name is Sean Coleman, host of the Daily Hammer, but um, in place of Chris Willis uh, this week with Chris's co-host and someone that I always enjoy doing podcasts with and talking baseball with, one of the best when it comes to talking Braves, and his name is Stephen Tolbert at B underscore Outliers on X. Stephen, how are you, sir? It's been a while, but happy spring training.
1: What's up, Sean? Yeah, buddy. It's uh it's good to do one of these with you again. Um, we appreciate you standing in for Chris. Chris a little under the weather this week. So um we appreciate you jumping on the show. But yeah, we're 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 getting close, man. It's uh we get our first spring training game on Saturday. We're recording this on Thursday night. So um just a couple of days away from actual games to to be able to at least watch. Still not a ton that you can take away from them, of course, in terms of results, but you know, just being able to to see the guys out there and and, you know, I don't, I know the Braves don't have a ton of these things televised, but we're going to get actual numbers. We're going to get actual, you know, at bats and real live pitches and against other teams. So, you know, it's getting going and it's exciting.
0: Absolutely, but uh, before we get into the Braves, Stephen, of course, you can find Stephen at B underscore Outliers on Twitter, myself at StatsSAC. You can follow um, all the great content from the Battery Power podcast at BatteryPower.com, at and Battery across all forms of social media, uh, free on all podcast platforms. Just hit that subscribe button, and you'll be good to go. But, but Stephen, before we get into the Braves, I, I think that the first thing I want to get your opinion on is, of all things... That could be talked about or could be the biggest storylines when it comes to um, spring training. Obviously, the uh, many significant players that haven't signed with teams yet. But what about the new uniforms? And I can't help but laugh, Stephen, because with these new uniforms, we've already seen a hint that we we could have more NSFW images come from these uniforms than anybody bargained for. Um, the the uniforms that these players are wearing now are definitely not getting the best of popular opinion. But uh, that has definitely been a storyline, and it, it's pretty eye opening just how bad some of the uniform setups have been.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how you, I don't know how you mass like see-through pants and like nobody catches that like there's been all these images online of of guys taking their kind of beginning of year photos and everybody's pants are just like see-through and it's like this is like a multi-billion dollar industry right like the little league pants that i had when i was eight years old they weren't see-through like it's it and anybody that's ever ordered anything off fanatics for people that don't know nike is the contractor that mlb uh, has a deal with for for uniforms but um, nike subcontracted its production to fanatics and anybody who's ever bought anything from fanatics knows that their quality control is probably the worst in the industry in terms of like fan apparel so there's no surprise that the quality of of jerseys that they're putting out for for major league players are are substandard um, i I have a feeling that something's going to happen between now and opening day where they get either replacements, they get last year's jerseys, they get someone else to do them. I can't imagine that Major League Baseball and especially the players association is going to allow their members to go out onto the field in see-through pants and with jerseys that have you know mixed match piping with you know tiny lettering, tiny number like some of these players are multi-million-dollar brands in themselves, and like the the PA is not going to let these guys go out in uniforms that are quite frankly embarrassing. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think I think another shoe is going to drop. I think something's going to happen um, in spring training, but I, I can't imagine we're going to start opening day with you know a bunch of guys in see-through pants. That's that's tough to imagine.
0: Yeah, and and I joke about it because like I say, of all things, this is is the big topic. But you potentially are setting yourself up for an embarrassing situation. I mean that that's what stands out to me. so I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I'm like you, I think that it gets resolved before opening day, but over the next week or so like it it you know we, we, we it definitely could continue to uh, uh, create some moments that are that are less than ideal and pretty embarrassing for major league baseball. but but Stephen, you know you talked about the fact that we, don't have much to talk about. And and I think that right now when it comes to the Braves, that's the goal of any major league team when it comes out to starting out the start of spring training, spring camp, what have you, like no news is good news. We'll get into, you know, one uh, significant bit of injury news for the Braves here a little bit later on. But in terms of their most significant players at the major league level, no, Steven, I know Alex and Anthopoulos mentioned, you know, we're really not going to mention minor elements, but there's not really been any concern or or any mention uh, of anyone when it comes to the Braves having a significant injury, and that is certainly a welcome contrast to last year at this time when we first heard about Kyle Wright, then we heard about Michael Soroka, but your thoughts on, you know, just the early first few days of spring training, you know, you know the lack of injury news, which is a good thing, but is any bit else? has anything else caught your eye via highlights, via news reports that have come out as the team uh, reported at the first of this week and last week? No, it's
1: it's it's definitely a positive that because this is the time where you hear about injuries, right? As guys ramp up full speed. Um, you know, the Mets just went through this with uh Kodas Senga, who's gonna be shut down for pretty much all of spring. Um the Orioles went just went through it with uh Kyle Bradish and John Means. So like this is the time of year, you know, as guys get fully ramped up and are and are throwing live bullets, maybe for the first time all spring, depending on what their program is. If, if somebody has something, this is when you hear about it. And like you said, this is, you know, last year when we heard about Kyle Wright and it essentially put Kyle Wright back for the entire year. I mean, and that's the thing about spring training injuries is that they're always kind of, not always, but a lot of times they're kind of shoved aside as, as relatively minor. But when you miss spring training, like that, that just impacts your whole year. Like you're just behind the whole year. And so for the Braves to not have anything yet, obviously you got a knock on wood. Um, you know, Chris Sale, Max Fried both ramped up fully and haven't reported anything. So that's obviously huge news. Um, you know, you never know with Charlie and his age if, if you know, eventually Charlie's going to try to ramp up and it's not going to work. You know, that's that's how age works. So um, but it doesn't appear like it's going to be this year. So, yeah, so far, so good. And that's huge, because if the Braves can get, get this rotation to opening day, you know, intact, then it's one of the best rotations at baseball. But, you know, that's what you – with this group, that's what you worry about. With Chris Sale's injury history, with with Charlie's age, the injury stuff that Max had last year, like you worry about, you know, health. And so so far, so good. So, yeah, knock on wood. But that that's huge for the Braves if they can get this whole rotation to opening day.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned the three right there, Charlie Morton, Max, Freed, and especially Chris Sale. You know, those are the guys, Freed, Morton, and – uh, sale, um, You know, whatever you want to put sell in Morton as. Those are the two, three, four guys, you know, in our rotation. And I think that Spencer Strider emerged last year is, in my opinion, being a top five pitcher in baseball. I know, I know that the numbers may not suggest it on the surface, but when you look at the advanced metric, it's pretty clear. He, he's about as good as it gets. But I think that it is especially significant that, you know, Chris Sale, I, I'm not sure if he mentioned it or uh, I can't remember who mentioned it. Uh, of, um, one of the Braves beat writers, I think, did. Now, this seems like the first time he's come through a full off season and entered spring training with a good bill of health since like 2018. And, and then Charlie Morton coming off his finger injury last year. And of course, uh, Max Reed coming off, you know, nearly four months of missing last year. It has to be a huge boost of confidence for the Braves to see each of them um, health free. And I definitely think that, you know, the, the good thing about that is, is that you don't have to worry about something now that could pop up later. The Braves are likely going to manage it, but health, getting off to a good start is such the ideal key for a good Braves spring training.
1: Yeah, and really any team, right? I mean, like every single team in baseball is like one or two injuries away from being in a serious, serious trouble. Like no team has enough pitching. Even healthy, very few teams have enough pitching. And, you know, the Braves did what they did last year without Kyle Wright and for most of the year without Max Fried. But, they, you know, they did it because they had – arguably the greatest offense in the history of, you know, in the history of the sport, at least in the regular season. So, you know, that's what you need when you have half your rotation go down. Most of the time when you lose, you know, pitchers of that level for that long, you don't have a good season. And like the Mets are about to find out the hard way. Like they just lost their best pitcher for who, you know, who knows how long. Um, And when that happens, man, it's tough. Like no, no, no one has enough reserves, you know, in the tank to, there's a, there's a certain amount of pitching injuries that will wreck any team. And, you know, yeah, it's just knock on wood, just pray to the baseball gods, you know, just get these guys to opening day healthy. And this team will be one of the best in baseball. I mean, that's I think it's that simple. The, I'm not worried about the offense. My main concern for this team is the rotation and its health. That, Like if I was to rank all the issues that, that could come, that could sink the, the 2024 Braves, rotation health, I think, would be probably number one. I don't I don't really think there's a close second, honestly. So yeah, get these guys to opening day healthy and, and I'll be happy.
0: Absolutely. And and you know, when we talk about, you know, any team really wanting to have that clean bill of health, that's absolutely true. But when you're the Braves and for good reason across many outlets to cover baseball, you're clearly the best team in baseball have the best world series odds it's especially great to see um the health there but you know steven another fun thing you know when we when we get into The latter part of January, early part of February, that's when we start to see season projections, prospect top 100 lists, you know, the top 10 from MLB.com, you know, projections in general, not only in terms of teams, but of players. But what also was fun this year, and I think it's happened previously, is the MLB top 100 was released from MLB.com. And I think that it probably doesn't surprise too many that the Braves had more players in the top 100 than any other team in baseball. As a matter of fact, they had nine total players in the top 100. But then when it starts to get really impressive, Stephen, seven players in the top 50, and that includes Max Freed at 48, which I think is low for him. But seven players in the top 50... Three player, four in the top 20, three in the top 15. And of course, coming off his historic MVP season, Ronald Acuna Jr. is number one. Steven, when you kind of look at these rankings, and I'll go through them real quick. Marcelo Zuna, 83, Ozzie Albi 66, getting some retribution for his uh, non-second base rankings. Michael Harris, 50, Freed, 48, Sean Murphy, 47, Spencer Strider, 17, Austin Riley, 15, Olson 13, Ronald Acuna Jr., one the numbers are where they're ranked among major league players. Your thoughts when you looked at that list and where these Braves were ranked.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously Acuna being one is the thing that stands out the most. Um, you know, I, I think if Shohei was pitching in 2024, I think I would have probably put Acuna two and Shohei one just because, you know, when you pitch at his level and you hit at his level it's, there's really no competing with that, but because Shohei is not going to pitch in 2024 and he's not really going to be in the field, he's he's pretty much just a DH in 2024, then it has to be... Acuna has to be one. I mean, you know, in the non-Atani division, he was the best player in baseball last year. And, you know, what's crazy about Ronald is is how how many things went against him last year, like in terms of his expected data versus his actual data and like... There's more in the tank, which is, you know, terrifying. And, and Ronald's 26 and just entering his prime. And yeah, I mean, he should be the, I mean, I guess you could make an argument for Mookie, but Ronald's like five years younger than Mookie and that matters. Um, and so, yeah, Ronald being one, of course, is the, is what's stood out. I thought Spencer was a little low at 17. I think Spencer could probably make a case for probably top 12, top 13, but I get, you know, ERA is still a thing that people care about a lot. So and he didn't have a great season from an ERA perspective. Um, you know, Austin, I think I would probably it's crazy to say, I think I would probably rank Austin ahead of Matt Olson. I I think I think we saw I think we saw the peak of Matt Olson in 2023. And this is a different topic for a different day, but I do think people need to maybe reset some expectations with Olsen. Like you can't expect another like six, seven win season fifty. 54 55 home run like that's absurd what he did last year and whereas with austin like austin's got more in the tank like austin could legitimately be i think austin's the best third baseman in baseball so um yeah that's. stood out. i think michael harris is still underrated if he gets off to a strong start i think he could put up like a five or six win season this year and be, in, you know in the top 20 i think that's how talented he is same with sean murphy actually um but yeah this team is just i mean we said it all off season this team is just loaded like the most talented Braves team I've ever seen in my life. Um, even going back to, you know, the, the early 90s, like this team has got so much talent. It's absurd. It's absurd how good this team is. And, you know, it's got to stay healthy, of course. But, and the, you know, the top 100 just kind of confirmed. Like they have ungodly amount of talent on this team. Alex has done an incredible job. It doesn't mean anything in, in March. Obviously, you got to actually go win the thing. But uh, from a talent perspective, this team is just stacked.
0: Absolutely, and, and and you know we we talk about other teams that impressed on this list. The Dodgers and Astros, I don't think, to a surprise to many, were the teams with the with the second most. The the, the Astros had seven, the Dodgers had seven, and including three in the top five. Mookie was two, and then uh, uh, Freeman and uh, um, or excuse me, Shohei, and then Freeman were four and five. Uh, but yeah, I think this shows the depth that's there for the Braves. And the thing that I'll ask you is this, Stephen, is that you know we talk about you mentioned Matt Olson and I agree with you and it kind of is is one of the things that that frustrates me the most about last year is just how much of a wasted opportunity in the playoffs it was because of just how excellent of a season he was having but Matt Olson The advanced metrics show a little bit that there could be a bit of regression. I agree with that. I still think that he probably is one of their two or three best, you know, um, bets to have well above 40 home runs in baseball, and he could do that. But just the overall, you know, hey, reduction in strikeouts, you know, just pure power when he hits the ball, you could see that reduce a little bit. But when you talk about these younger players, can Michael Harris II – put together the improvements that he made against left-handers last year over a full campaign? Can Austin Riley potentially be more productive against high velocity? I asked a question about Ronald Acuna Jr. Last year was historic. Age 25 season MVP. The thing that stands out, you mentioned he has more in the tank. Those advanced metrics actually say his expected results were better than his actual results. So he did have... A little bit of bad luck, but is there one specific area where you could say if Ronald does this, he could take his game to the next level? If we talk about there being more in the tank, what specifically is it about Ronald that that you you have identified to where he can improve even more? If that if that even makes sense?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the defense is obviously the the area where there's more in the tank. I think, you know, when he when he tore his ACL, he tore it playing defense. He tore it going back on a ball in Miami and. I think that's probably part of the game where he's been the most hesitant in terms of trusting the knees is, is roaming around in the outfield. I think there was definitely times last year where he pulled up on balls that he probably could have gotten to or he didn't go all out on balls when he was going back. You know, th- there's still a mental hurdle I'm sure playing in the outfield with the knee, and you know he had like three or four sun balls last year that you know they just kill you on the defensive metrics because it basically just looks like he dropped a a, a pop fly um and those just those just absolutely murder your your defensive numbers so like if he cleans that stuff up like you know if he was he graded out as one of the worst right fielders in baseball i don't think anybody actually thinks on talent that he's one of the worst right fielders in baseball so like you clean that up like you could easily you you know with the same you know for the same money on offense you could you know he could have put up a 10 win season or like a Eleven or twelve win season, like that's what I mean by more in the tank. Like he put up an eight win season last year, was the unanimous MVP. But there are like clear areas where, you know, if he cleans cleans it up just a little bit, like on defense, um, you know, the ground ball numbers could be better. You know, he had a, he ran a high ground ball rate for most of the year, uh, but he hit the ball so freaking hard it didn't matter. Um, uh, you know, he had he led the league in barreled outs. I've mentioned that a couple times on the show. Which is why his expected numbers were so much higher than his actual numbers, because he had a he actually had a a bunch of bad luck on barreled barreled baseballs. Like you add all that up, like that eight-win season could easily be 10 or 11 or 12. Like he could put up a Barry Bond season. That's that's well within his ability. He could put up a 50-50 season, a 60-60. Like I this is what I've talked. Like, I don't think people understand. Like every everything we've ever seen from any player ever. Is on the table with Ronald Acuna Jr. He could he could hit seventy five home runs and like, there's nothing you've ever seen on a baseball field from any player that isn't in within Ronald's reach, if he puts it all together. And that's the exciting part. And that's what I'd be more in the tank. An eight win season is not his peak. Like I I, I as long as he's healthy, he's going to put up a ten win season at some point. So it could be next year. Like you know, that's the exciting part of Ronald.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that he. Um, is Mike Trout, but in terms of just the all overall offensive package, I mean, I know Trout obviously had significantly better defense up to this point in his career, but offensively, he, he, listen, he he's in that realm, and so it definitely could um, be exciting to see. Again, not saying he's going to be better than Mike Trout, but um, he definitely is a player that 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 you could see, um, you know, put up sustained stretches where he's like that. And Stephen, you know, one last question about the offense. You know, what really stood out last year as to why. We saw the MVP campaign from Ronald, the close to MVP campaign for Matt Olson was for Ronald the entire season. It was the the cut down on strikeouts. Um, I believe from mid-20s to the mid-teens. You know, that Matt Olson went from, you know, above 30 in the first third of the season down, I think for much of the rest of the season below 20 himself. What has really stood out as helping these players when they break out like they do under Kevin Seitzer and the Braves is the significant drop in strikeout um percentage. I think that's the key to letting you know a player such as Jared Kelenic be able to break out. Do you think that that is going to be sustainable going into this season? Do you think there could be some regression in that area? Or, or do you feel that we're going to continue to see the Braves as a whole really limit those strikeouts, and then that will allow for them to have as many opportunities as possible to put the ball in play, to play as hard as they can?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be interesting to watch, especially with Ronald, because Ronald cut his strikeout rate in half. And he did so without sacrificing any power and without sacrificing any walks, which is basically unheard of. Like that's, you know, I've said this before, that's probably the most impressive part of his season last year was he cut his strikeout rate in half, still hit for just as much power and still drew just as much walks, just as many walks like that. That's impossible. Like the only way usually you can cut your strikeout rate in half is if you just, Become hyper aggressive at the plate, swing at everything on the first pitch, which just kills your walk rate. You know, a lot of times you shorten up to make contact, which kills your power. To to do all three at the same time is just unheard of. And so, like if he continues that, then he's going to win probably another MVP. Like it, Ronald Acuna Jr. with a twelve percent strikeout rate is like terrifying. Like if you're a pitcher, like there, that's terrifying. Like that used to be the only thing that Ronald where you could get Ronald was he, you know, he would go through these stretches of of a lot of swing and miss, especially on velocity. And if that's gone, if he can just get to everything now, I don't know. I don't know what the hell you do to get him out quite honestly. So that that's going to be fascinating to watch is, is, is this his new strikeout rate? Like, is he now like a 12, 13% strikeout rate guy? Cause if he is like, he's unstoppable. I mean, he was already close to being unstoppable even as a 24, 24, you know, 25 strikeout rate guy, but at 12 or 13, it's, it's bananas. And if that's the new norm, then yeah, this is just the start of what's going to be an incredible run for him.
0: By the way, Ronald Acuna Jr. in his first interview of the spring, he wants to be a brave for life. He's the type of player that you're happy to have. On your team, well, Stephen, I'll I'll switch gears here a little bit to talk about the pitching staff. You know, we talk about you know the health of, of the starting rotation, but uh, another you know big storyline from the offseason was the quality and the depth and the amount of left-handers that the Braves added to what was already a deep bullpen. Now just is a is a deep. Talented, uh, diverse bullpen. But uh, you commented on something on on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it nowadays, on, on a find that somebody posted the other day, um, and, and it was about the fact that Pierce Johnson, I believe, actually led all Major League Baseball, or maybe it was just relievers in strikeouts off curveballs. I probably it's probably just relievers. I'll, I'll let you define that in just a second. But you know, we talk about the Braves benefiting from the cut down in strikeouts for their offense. The Braves have, over the past few years, they've definitely continued to um, have better strikeout numbers as a whole. But when you got into the playoffs, it was the Phillies who definitely had the deeper um, assortment or the the deeper, um, they had more depth when it came to pitchers who were missing bats in that series against the Braves. This Braves team, if there's one thing about this pitching staff, it seems deeper on its potential to get strikeouts from both sides of the mound. Does that stand out to you as something that improved this offseason? And do you feel that that is one of those things where the Braves said, hey, this is an area where we can improve For the playoffs, let's go out and get it done. And and you feel like they were able to accomplish that. The strikeout potential for this pitching staff as a whole definitely seems to be on the upswing, and I think that's something to watch in spring training.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was clear all offseason that one of the, if not the main priority for Alex this offseason was adding stuff, like adding velocity, adding strikeouts, adding – you know, wipe out sliders and curveballs. And, you know, I think one thing Alex has taken away from the last two postseasons is the Phillies have built a pitching staff full of just nasty stuff. And that's tough to deal with, you know, even for one of the best offenses in baseball, you know. And if you go back and look at the Braves 2021 World Series run, you know, that World Series run in October was built on pitching. Like they pitched lights out for the, that. Postseason run, like the bullpen went bananas. Like they just didn't give up any runs. Max Freed and Charlie Morton were both on pretty much all for the entire, you know, run. I think in their wins, they averaged like less than three runs allowed per game in their eleven wins for that postseason run. Like, I don't care how good your offense is, you you need really good pitching in in October because the other team is going to have good pitching and they're going to be able to match up with your offense and they're going to be able to maximize the efficiency of all their, you know, all of their players and all their pitchers. And it's just hard to score runs in, in October. So I, I think the Braves were very intentional about adding stuff. Adding like, you know, Chris Sale still got, you know, quality stuff. Ronaldo Lopez is nasty. Aaron Bummer can be nasty. Uh they got a guy from San Diego, uh, Ray Kerr, who's who throws like 98, 99 um, you know, they get Tyler Matzik back, uh, you know, they just went, you know, Pierce Johnson, they re-signed him, Joe Jimenez, they re-signed him like they went with stuff. They went with strikeouts and curveballs and sliders and high velocity. And, you know, that that was that, that wasn't a coincidence. That was all intentional. And I think uh, a result of the last two postseasons against the Phillies who have built a very similar pitching staff. So, uh, yeah, that was clearly from day one of the offseason a Probably the number one priority for Alex is just adding a tremendous amount of stuff to the the rotation and the bullpen.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, hits the best price of the year at $29. Go to Sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S 29com dot N $29.com.
0: Absolutely, and, and that's what I'm excited to see, you know. And obviously, I know that I think it's been discussed a little bit. You don't want to look too far um, into the future. You don't want to look at the postseason and, you know, just, you know, devalue the regular season. But I think that, again, when it comes to the Braves, World Series or Bust is going to be their mantra for years to come. So I think that that definitely is a good characteristic about this team that you hope is set in place by the start of the season, um, Steven, Going from the majors to the minor leagues, I know that I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit. But we talked the first of the episode about the fact that the Braves have had, you know, some some pretty good luck so far when it comes to health. Knock on wood as many times as you can. But there was one significant report um, when it came to uh, um, um, hitting prospect Dave McCabe, uh, who is one of the better power sources in the Braves system. He was ranked number eight on the battery power um, preseason top 30 for the Braves. He actually had Tommy John surgery. And if I I believe I'm correct, Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's now out for the season or at least is going to miss the majority of the season. Now, McCabe himself is probably not someone that was going to be of any type of immediate value to the Braves. But this, this does impact, you know, a couple of things. You know, the Braves don't have just a lot of standout prospect depth or quality prospect depth um, at the top of their minor league system, especially with the trade of Von Grissom to the Red Sox for for Chris Sale. And and that could potentially, you know, Dave McCabe, he's an older prospect. So him missing a year is going to be something that could certainly impact his value long term. If he were to have had a breakout year, that's a potential, you know, good trade piece that you could have used at the trade deadline to go get a a, a big need or a big addition uh, to your squad. Just your opinion on that? Again, I know McKay may not even have been in the long term plans of the Braves, but for a team that definitely does not have just a lot of standout quality talent in the upper minor league level when it comes to position players, I think his loss is is pretty relevant.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, with a with a farm system that's not. I think uh, Keith Law just ranked the Braves farm system like 26th in baseball, and you know that's probably about right, quite honestly. Um, but yeah, he was um, for people that I don't know, he was a, a third baseman that was picked. I think he was a fourth round pick in 2022 uh, for the Braves. He was a third baseman. Um, you know the the thing that hurts him the most, and to be clear, I don't know if he's out for the year. I think. Because with position players, they can DH and still come you know, like I you know, it's easier to hit. Um you know, obviously he can't throw, so he can't play the field. But I, I think there is a chance he can come back as a DH later in the season. Um which would, would obviously help because like you said, you know, McCabe has hit everywhere he's been. The problem is he's like three or four years older than every, you know, player he plays against. You know, last year he played in um he played in low A ball. He played in low A and in high A at 23 years old. And the average player down there is like 18, 19 years old. And so from an evaluation standpoint, it's tough because when you're playing against guys that much younger than you, like you should dominate. Like that's and and he did to his credit. He's hit really well. But this was gonna be a big year for him because he was gonna finally get to the upper minors at 24. You know, he's gonna play against top prospects in double A and, and even like major league caliber players at triple A. Um, And so obviously now he's not going to get to do that. And, you know, when you miss your age 24 development season, like that's tough. That's really tough because now, you know, if you miss the whole year, you're going to be in double A at 25. Again, you're it's a tough eval because you're playing against 20, 21 year olds, you know, so it's a big setback for him. We'll see if he can come back later in the year to DH and, and still hit. But yeah, that was a bummer for the Braves.
0: Absolutely, and 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 the big thing about it is is that I definitely hope he can come back. You know, again, we we haven't. You know, J.R. Ritchie is the other top prospect that has dealt with uh, some injury. Hopefully, he can he can come back. Um, you know, from that. Um, but uh, but like I say, you know, at the in the minor league level, Dave McCabe, you know, having that injury, it'll certainly be something to watch. But before we get into the start of spring training, one other thing that you know I want to get your opinion on, Steven, is that you know we talk about the fact that the Braves have had pretty good. Um, luck when it comes to, you know, there not being injuries to speak of so far in spring training. But on the flip side of that, especially when it comes to their pitching staff, we also have some key arms potentially that are coming back from injury. You know, Waskar Yanoa, Tyler Matsick, Dylan Lee. You know, we talked about the big guys earlier, but this pitching depth. Again, Waskar Yanoa, Tyler Matsick, Dylan Lee in the bullpen as well. And Ian Anderson, even, who, who probably is going to be a, a bit, you know, for, he's Probably, you know, a bit further along from from coming back, you know, full strength like, you know, the other three that I mentioned. But just your thoughts so far on, on on what you've seen from those guys or heard about those guys. I think overall, you know, we do know Matzik may start the season off on the injured list just to kind of get him back into, you know, full game shape to, you know, truly take his role in the bullpen. But good report so far from each of them, I think. And I think that you could get some good quality depth from them if they all can enter the season, you know, besides Anderson at full health.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like uh, the Braves actually have tremendous amounts of depth on their pitching staff. It's not like, it's not like lights out depth, but like, you know, you take your top four guys and, and Max and Spencer and uh, sale and Morton. And then let's just say, you know, let's say Ronaldo Lopez is the fifth starter. Let's, you know, that's not the case yet. Obviously there's going to be a spring competition, but let's just say the sake for the sake of argument, Ronaldo is the fifth guy. That means in AAA, you've got Bryce Elber, you've got Oscar Inola, you've got, uh, you know, AJ Smith, Schauber, you've got Alan Winans, you've got Dylan Dodd, you've got, you know, uh, Waldrop. Like the Braves have quite a bit of either close to major league ready or guys who have already pitched. Other than Waldrop, everybody I just mentioned, I don't even know if I mentioned AJ Smith, Schauber but all of those guys have pitched in the majors at some point other than Waltrip. Like, that's a ton of depth. Um, Darius Vines is another one. Like, the Braves have, like, eight or nine guys, and if they get Ian Ian Anderson back, that's, that's another one. So the Braves have, like, eight or nine guys that could start the year in the minors who have pitched and started games in the majors. That's kind of incredible. Like, that's an absurd amount of depth. Like, they have more guys than they have rotation spots in Gwinnett. So they're going to have to get creative with how they're going to roll out their, you know, minor league rotations as well, because they have so many guys that need innings. Um, And I actually wouldn't be surprised if they traded some of that depth because that's almost like no team has enough pitching, but that's almost too much. That's like, that's very close to too much minor league, like top of the minor league level pitching. Like you, you just, you barely have enough. Innings to go around for everybody and I could see another team needing a little bit more depth and the Braves maybe trade a guy like Dylan Dodd or Darius Vines to maybe, you know, address a hole in the bench or something. But the Braves have a ton of depth more than probably any other team. Um If you know, obviously they have to keep their top guys healthy. So you don't have to dip into that depth too much. But with everybody healthy, this team is loaded at the top of the rotation in the middle of the rotation at the bottom of the rotation minor league depth like they have a ton of pitching and obviously you need a ton of pitching to get through a season but yeah they got a bunch
0: absolutely and and and, and again you know it, part of this when we talk about good injury news is not just about the fact that you're not talking about pitchers or players that are dealing with injury, but you're also seeing a lack of information or lack of of bad news when it comes to players returning from injury. So just all around, again, hopefully it'll continue the Braves having some pretty good injury luck when it comes to the start of the season. So Stephen, a fun exercise here. I'm going to name All nine spots in the batting order before we get started with spring training tomorrow. And we're talking about the batting order for opening day as of right now, before we get into spring training, and we'll see if it changes over time. But going to name each of the nine spots in the batting order, and I want you to tell me who you think should bat there. Stephen Tolbert will start off with this one. Tell me why Jared Kelenic should be the leadoff hitter. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Stephen, leadoff hitter for the Braves on opening day will be
1: yeah, that's like the most obvious one in the world, right? Like, if <laughs> if, if it's anybody else, then you know the world the world is ended. So yeah, yeah. Thir- thirteen in right field will be the the leadoff hitter.
0: Batting second for the Braves on opening day will be.
1: Um, second is always interesting because you know I've never loved Ozzie Albies there. Brian Snicker absolutely loves it. Sure. Um I will say this: Ozzy had such a good season last year against. Um, against right-handed pitching like yep. he had he had the best season of his career against right-handed pitching last year yep. and that's always been his weakness and that's always been the reason I I've never loved him in the two holes because you see you know over a major league season you see so much right-handed pitching that it, it it's I think it becomes a detriment so I'm going to say Ozzy because he'd hit so well against right-handers last year if it if he had had another down year I might have gone a different way but I think Brian I think Snit's gonna stick with Acuna and Ozzy one too
0: who uh, batting third for the Braves on Opening Day will be
1: uh, Austin Riley. Okay. They'll, they'll they'll do. Yeah, I'll go ahead and give the they'll do Austin Riley, Matt Olson, three, four.
0: Matt Matt Olson four. If they surprise us and were to put Matt Olson second, would you put Ozzy fourth?
1: Yeah, that's what I would do. I think because he's small, everybody thinks Ozzy is like a top of the order hitter, but his hitting profile is actually way more suited for a run production spot yeah because he's a high slug relatively low obp guy which is where you usually stick you know in the five hole the six four or five six so his batting profile is actually much more of a run producer than it is a you know a setup guy so i would i would probably do olsen two ozzy four if i was king of the world but i'm guessing Snet's going to reverse those two
0: batting fifth for the Braves on opening day will be
1: uh i'm guessing they go sean well they could go marcel if Olson's batting four, then you're going to put a righty five, probably Marcel, because yeah. it, assuming he has a decent spring, like Sean Murphy, Marcel, you could probably flip a coin, but Marcel had 40 homers last year, so I'm guessing he's going to bat five.
0: Then batting sixth on opening day, whichever one of Olson or, or Darno is not, whichever one of Olsen, or excuse me, Murphy or Darno is at catcher. And Marcel, whichever one's not batting fifth, do they automatically bat sixth?
1: I think so. I think they would go. It depends. If, you know, if, if, if Snit wants to do like right, left, right, left, right, left, you could do Michael Harris there. Yeah. Um, You could even do Kelnick there, honestly. Like if they want to, if they want to keep Michael Harris like near the bottom of the order where they have two kind of leadoff hitters back to back. Um, I'm going to say hmm that's a good one. I'm going to say 5 is going to be our uh Ozuna. I'm going to say 6 is going to be the catcher spot. So I'm I'll say opening day will be Sean Murphy.
0: I'm a, we're in complete agreement so far. <clears throat> Batting 7th on opening day for the Braves. This is where it gets interesting.
1: Yeah, so I I've been th- I was thinking about this uh yesterday. Are they going to go Harris, Arcia, Kelnick? Are they going to go Kelnick Garcia, Harris do they want Harris and Acuña batting back to back um I'm going to say they they will put Kelnick at 7 but if you told me they would put Harris at 7 I would believe that as well maybe they want to you know take as much pressure off Kelnick as possible um you could probably flip a coin I'll say Kelnick at 7 um and then Arcia at eight and Harris at nine. Yeah. yeah. But I could flip seven and nine pretty easily and they, you know, they could do that. But I don't know. Having Harris and Acuna bat nine and one is, is pretty enticing.
0: Absolutely. And I think that you also want to keep um, Harris and Kelnick away from batting back to back. Yeah, where definitely. It's late, where it's a late game situation, you don't want to yeah. face a left hander. So, and RC is fine uh, to be down there at shortstop. Like, RC
1: is probably the worst hitter on the team.
0: Yeah, I yeah. I, I think that's fair to say.
1: So, like, I get the argument that he, he needs to bat ninth, but it's not actually that linear where, like, you just rank all your hitters one through nine and then bat them in that order. Like, left right matters. You know, Snit's going to be very attracted to having Michael Harrison, Acuna batting back to back. Um, So I'm I'm my guess is right now they'll go Kelnick, Garcia, Harris, seven through nine, but that could change.
0: So then I'll add the one last lineup question that I have: Say Michael Harris, Scott Coleman's talked about it, you've talked about it, I've seen some others talk about it as well. Michael Harris sits here and has this breakout season, and a big reason why is because he's holding his own against lefties. We'll say, well above 850 OPS against righties. Do you see this potentially being the season? Because to me, he probably is a better number two overall hitter profile than Ozzy is to your point. Could you see him making the move? I mean, we've already seen him move him up to three during his rookie year, but could you see him at some point, if he's having a breakout year at the plate, being moved up to that number two spot?
1: I don't know about two, like two is awfully high. Like it would have to coincide with Ozzy not hitting well. Sure. 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 Um, And even then, I think they might throw Olsen in there before they threw Michael Harris in there. Sure. But like, I could see him getting bumped up to like six, you know, if they, if they, if they bat Ozuna five. Yeah. And like I said earlier, if they want a lefty after Ozuna, then yeah, I could see Michael Harris. Like, I think Michael, I, this is a whole separate conversation. I could probably write an article about this on the site, but I think Michael Harris might be the second best overall player on the team. Oh, wow. That, that, Um, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. Like with his defense, like his defense and base running set such a high floor that if he hits it off, like he puts up like a 120, 125 WRC plus, he's going to get MVP votes because his defense and base running are going to give him three or four wins just by themselves. And so if his offense comes along at all, like he's going to put up a six or seven win season. And that's why, you know, everybody's so excited about him and just on pure talent and value. When you play elite center field defense, you just have so much, so much inherent value. That yeah, I think I I can make an argument that that Harris is the second best player on the team. Um, and so I, but as long as Ozzy's on the team, I, I don't think and Olson, I don't think they would go as high as two. But I do think they could stick him in the middle of the order, you know, like six or something. If they, it's tough though because Snit is going to absolutely fall in love with having Harris nine and Acuna one. So that's going to be tough to take away.
0: And you know he's going to sit there and stick with with what he sees is working. Oh, by the way, for anybody keeping track at home, Michael Harris is entering his age twenty three season, and, and the Bray Acuna his age twenty six season, and the Braves have them both locked up together for their center and right field combination for the next five years. It's it's so much fun saying that. I yeah. I may say that once a week for the, for the for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um. All right. So we've talked about you know a bunch of different things. Kind of you know what. Stands out as far as early camp, getting, you know, kind of a pulse on on some things for opening day before spring training starts. But, hey, spring training is tomorrow, Stephen. And we're talking about the Braves. You know, they're starting off against, you know, some pretty notable opponents. You know, they go against the Rays uh, to start out. Then they'll play the Red Sox, then the Orioles. So getting some AL East opponents out of the way here. What are you looking at? I know we haven't heard who's going to be starting on Saturday, probably not going to be one of the more significant arms, maybe a younger one, but is there anything in particular, like one or two things you're really going to be pinpointing on when it comes to what you're watching for to start off spring training?
1: Yeah. The one thing I will say that maybe I haven't said into a mic yet just to switch it up. Obviously everybody's going to say the fifth starter spot and you know how the relievers look and how Chris sale looks like all that stuff is obvious. The one thing that I'll say is, and I'm a little surprised, I thought the Braves might bring in some shortstop competition for Arcia just because he had that rough second half. And, you know, by pedigree, he's probably more of a bench piece than a starter. Like he had a really solid year last year, but, you know, how much can you count on that again for 2024? So I'm going to be interested to see what he looks like in spring. Like, does he, does the second half, Half he had in the postseason. He has. Does it have any lingering effects? If it does, you know, do the Braves look at maybe bringing somebody in at least as a backup? You know, they they really don't have like if Arcia struggles, they don't really have a ton. Like they traded Von Grissom away, they traded Braden shoemaker away. Like they don't have a ton in the minors um, at shortstop. So at least that are not major league ready. So shortstop is is always going to be interesting to me because I don't think I've said this before. I don't think Arcia is a long term option. I don't think anybody thinks that i don't even i I don't even think arcia thinks that um and so like if he struggles you know if he goes back to hitting kind of like a bench piece um if the range starts to go away with age which which happens to everybody like what do they do like where do they go from there you know i know you've talked about willie adamez and and the brewers and you know they've already traded corbin burns would they be willing to maybe move him i don't know but shortstop is always gonna until we get a long term piece like a very clear long term piece in in that spot, I'm always gonna have kind of a one eye on shortstop because it's it's just an it's such a crucial role in the team um and the Braves don't have a clear long term answer there and so um I would say maybe a little outside of the box that would be my kind of thing I'm probably gonna watch. <laughs>
0: And the crazy thing when you think about it is in, in, in kind of in less than a year, the turnover at, at the shortstop spot, you know, even, you know, in less than 15 months, you go from having – Dansby Swanson penciled in as your shortstop, you know, for the previous six seasons. And then you go through last offseason hearing that Von Grissom is going to be the guy. He gets, you know, overtaken by Arcia at the end of spring training. And now, less than a year later, Braden Shoemake nor Von Grissom are even with the Braves organization anymore. Shoemake with the White Sox, Von Grissom with the Red Sox. And I agree with you. You know, the fact that there is not another relevant shortstop, I mean, if you want to call David Fletcher one, he's played shortstop in the past, but I don't think he's one now. I agree with you. I think that you could see, you know, one of the, you know, and we'll talk about another um, avenue here. You had mentioned, so, so I'll propose this as a question. You had mentioned the fact that the Braves have some, you know, pretty notable pitching depth, not significant quality, but relevant pitching depth. Could you see them moving one of these pitchers during spring training to another team to perhaps go get a, a, a somewhat relevant upper minors talent at the shortstop position just to have that extra depth there?
1: I mean, I could see anything without Alex. You know, we've, we finally gotten the, like the aggressive version of Alex and Anthopoulos, you know, that was, his repu- that was his reputation when he came over from Toronto was like, he was always looking for big deals and always hyper aggressive and, You know, his first few years in Atlanta, he wasn't that way. He was very conservative. He was very choosy about the deals he made. Um, And then in the last, like, 24 months, really since Acuna went down in 2021 and he had to remake the entire outfield at the deadline, like, since that point, we've seen, like, the the wheeler and dealer Alex Antopoulos. Like, I don't know. He made so many trades this offseason, I couldn't even keep track of, of everything he did. And a lot of them were minor, so they didn't get a lot of headlines. But he like he moved a ton of money around, a, a ton of players around. So there's nothing that would surprise me with Alex. Like if if Arcia struggled, if there was a guy on another team that maybe needed some pitching depth, and the Braves, you know, wanted to include, I don't know, Darius Fines or Winans or or Elder, even, uh, it wouldn't stun me. Like at some point, the Braves have to address long term shortstop. Like I think everybody agrees with even people, even the most hardcore Orlando Arcea fans, I think would agree that he's not a long-term answer. Um, He's paid like a bench piece because that's kind of what he is. Like he, he fills a role for the Braves because the Braves have so much talent and their are, and they starting lineup that they don't need a, an elite shortstop. But at some point you do have to like answer that question long term. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I, I, I do think maybe fans don't realize how how much pitching depth the Braves have at the upper minors, like seven, eight, nine guys who have already pitched at or in the majors at some point. Like that's a ton. Um, So I could definitely see something like that. I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do it. You know, Um, it's hard. It's always harder to make a make a trade than it is to not make a trade, but. Yeah, shortstop is is always going to be something I have my eye on. It's just a, a fascinating position right now for the Braves.
0: Agreed. And and the and one last question as We enter spring training. I definitely think that you know the the, the part of the lineup, the person in the lineup that that people are going to have their most eyes on to see. You know, hey, can this guy deliver on his promise? Since we've seen so many guys already in the lineup in a, in the Braves lineup do that will be Jared Kelnick. And, and, you know, all the right things have been said by Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snicker so far, you know, this offseason going into spring training. They believe that Kelnick can be an everyday player. They seem to believe, you know, what led to Kelnick's two-month breakout last year was the fact that he had nearly an 800 OPS against left-handed pitching. That's the part of his, you know, approach at the plate that really helped out. But with that being said, say he does, you know, have a, a good spring training, but say he doesn't. We do have all these notable free agents that are out there, and we're starting to see some free agents who, who are signing for significantly less money than you would anticipate. I don't think the Braves are going to go out and get like a Jordan Montgomery or, or Cody Bellinger or anything like that. Don't, don't don't take that the wrong way, but I do think when you look at some of these veteran outfielders, you know, I know Adam Duvall is someone that many would love to see back in this. We've got Jordan Luplow. We we, we 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 traded for I believe a JT, a J.P. A Gonzalez Rodriguez J P Martinez. From Texas, I know Alex Anthopoulos talked about speed being an option on the bench when it comes to an outfielder. But could the Braves potentially just see a a deal they can't pass up with a veteran right-handed option fall into their lap? Do you see the fact that with so many quality players out there in free agency, the Braves could find a cheap enough deal to add a relevant piece to their outfield depth at some point in spring training?
1: So here's the deal with that, and I think the answer is no, and I'll explain why. So the Braves didn't trade any prospects really to get Jared Kelnick, but the Braves paid like close to $20 million when it was all said and done in terms of the money they took on to get Kelnick. And that's a lot of money, especially as you know the Braves up against the, the luxury tax or the third tier of the luxury tax, like they took on a lot of money and they did that because they want it. They think Jared Kelnick has something special inside of him and they want to see, a large sample. Like, I don't think there's any amount of struggle in spring training, unless it was just like, like biblical, biblical levels of like one for 40 with, you know, 30 strikeouts or something like that. Like outside of just ungodly numbers like that. I think, I think Kelnick's already penciled in as the opening day left fielder. And I don't think Alex wants to give Snit such a good player on the bench that he is tempted to put him in over Kelnick. Does that make sense? Like, I don't like if you have Adam Duvall sitting on the bench and Jerry Kelnick is struggling, it's going to be very tempting for Snit to continue to play Kelnick. And we know from their relationship that Alex gives the lineup completely to Snit. It is Snit's call, and Alex does not interfere. And he's made that very clear. He gives the you know he gives Snit the roster, but you know, but but Snit gets the lineup card. And if you bring in Adam Duvall or Tommy Pham, even if they fall into your lap financially. You're giving your manager a reason not to play the guy that you spent a lot of money on this spring, you know, when he struggles. And if if the best player you have over there is Eli White or Jordan Luplow, then as the manager, you're much more likely to to stick with Kelnick and let him kind of work through it. And I think that's what the team wants. I think they want to see what he has. So I'm going to say no. It wouldn't stun me if I'm wrong, but I do think they really want to see Kelnick and what he can do. And I think they want him you know, even in the midst of struggles to continue to get at bats. And, you know, with the current setup, that's very easy to do.
0: I know that sounds, it's logical. Ask me, this is the reason why I love talking ball with you, Stephen. In the Braves, you always bring up excellent points that, you know, I'll be honest, I, I a lot of times I'd not thought of. So I I, I agree with you uh, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And yes, snicker can definitely uh, be loyal to the players he's comfortable with at times especially vets at times even if it may not make the most sense so um yeah no that makes perfect sense i I completely agree with you but at the very least to your point if something just completely off the rails or unexpected happens this um uh, during spring training perhaps the braves can still go out and get something but you bring up great points as to why it clearly is not a priority. And, and I agree with the way Alex Anthopoulos and, and Brian Snicker, you know, if, if they're talking up a player, you know, I know we saw it last year with Vaughn Grissom, you know, it changed up at the, at the very end. But if they're talking up a player that they went out and and, and and got in a trade, I think that they're going to probably stick with, you know, seeing that through. So, yeah, I think those are excellent points. Well, Stan- and the, the, other,
1: the other, the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, veteran players also know that with the Braves, There are very, very few at-bats to be had in a a bench roll. Like, if you've got 10 10 different offers for a million bucks, pretty much every other, you know, and one of them is the Braves, pretty much all nine of the other ones are going to be more playing time than the Braves can offer because the Braves just play their starters all the time. And so that's another reason I think, like, even, like, if financially – Adam Duvall, Tommy Pham, like these guys that could probably still be starters, even if they, even if the money makes sense, the playing time doesn't really make sense from their perspective. Like I, I think they would always pick, even a similar or exactly, you know, if it's exactly the same offer, I think they would still pick other situations where they're gonna play, because like thirty-five year old Adam Duvall wants to play because. How many more years does he have as a major league player? Tommy Pham has been a starter for the last few years. Like he's not going to take a bench role where he's sitting 90% of the time. Like even if the money makes sense, the playing time doesn't really make sense.
0: Another valid and great point, so absolutely. But, hey, you know what? The thing about it is this, is that, you know, typically, you know, when when you get into spring training, you've got six, seven different clear bullet points you want to talk about. In in this case, we we haven't had a lot of news, which, which, which is, you know, awesome. But, hey, this has been a great conversation. This is what makes baseball being back so awesome. You can just sit down. With someone you like talking Braves baseball with and you could sit here and before you know it, you've got an hour of good conversation. And Stephen, this has been another tremendous uh, a, a conversation session with you. I thank you for your time. Uh, do you have uh, anything else when it comes to uh, the Braves starting spring training or do you have anything that you're working on that you'd like to let Braves Nation know when it comes to Battery Power or the podcast to be named later with Chris?
1: Yeah, we've got the whole site up and going. I mean, we've had the whole site up and going all offseason. We do this 365 days a year, but Obviously, with the first spring training game on Saturday, um, you know Brad is coming back into town. Brad's been out of town. Chris has been sick, so like we're gonna actually get like fully ramped up the podcast network back on pretty much a regular weekly schedule. All three shows, um, you know, the site. Uh, I'm I'm actually writing up the uh, first game on Saturday for the site, so like we're gonna have just insane amounts of content. I put our I put our coverage of the Braves up against any site. Uh, out there i think we cover the team as well as anybody so if you're not a member of the site battery power you know come check it out we we have i don't know seven eight nine articles per day um chris does an incredible job kind of trafficking all that and then of course the podcast network uh this is the uh podcast to be named later with me and chris typically then sean does his show the daily hammered usually three or four times a week and then brad and scott do their the main show on on sundays typically so yeah come check it all out and we appreciate it and sean we Big shout-out to you for, for stepping in and pinch-hitting for Chris. Sure. Um, we, we appreciate it, buddy.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I, I'll never be on the level of, a, of Chris Willis or yourself uh, when it comes to uh, the Braves breakdown, just because y'all are so awesome at it. But it's always a pleasure to to be able to talk with y'all. So uh, thank you for that. And, and, of course, you know, thank y'all. Uh, when it comes to a Braves country, it, it's been another fun offseason. But, hey, this is the reason that we all cheer. This is the reason that we all get excited. Baseball is starting back up. Braves baseball, hopefully, hopefully, this this Friday will be the last day that we don't have to look forward to Braves baseball uh, until what you know the end of October I think I said that right hopefully the end of October but my point is is that several months are lie ahead where there's going to be nearly every day there's going to be a Braves baseball game and it doesn't get much better than that for Steven Tolbert again you can find him at b underscore outliers at, uh, on Twitter, X, whatever you call it. Uh, you can find myself at stats, SAC, find all the great podcast content, battery power podcast, wherever you get your podcast, just hit that subscribe button until next time. This has been the podcast to be named later. Chris Willis will be back next week. Brad and Scott will be back this Sunday and I'll be back with you early next week with the daily hammer. We'll talk to you again soon here on the battery power podcast network.